This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Good evening and welcome to this week's Known and Ever podcast. I'm Jamie Smith and with me this week are Kevin, Simon and James. Just one game to talk about this week instead of two and no win, I'm afraid, and no goals either. Nil-nil draw with Derby County on Monday night in front of the Sky cameras. Wasn't the most entertaining game, but we will try and make it sound as exciting as we possibly can. Um, James, it was nothing really to write home about, was it, to put it mildly? Um, No, it was especially disappointing considering um, you'd think we're both two sides that are favourites to go up and you'd expect to play good football um, for the whole of the season, but... Um, I guess on the if you're going to look for plus points, it's you know we've obviously got a point away at another big club, um, and I think we, we've also done a, a little bit to to not help their confidence. And obviously they're still looking for that home win, and uh, while we're unbeaten, while having not played very well, Kevin, was it a case of just grinding it out in in difficult circumstances with with Andre Gray going off injured in the first half hour? I think so. Yeah. Um, I think I've I've had a certain reputation for being very negative, but I'm actually going to be quite positive. And I think there's quite <laughs> even a for a non-in ever person, <laughs> quite negative. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think there are some positives to take out of a match last night. Obviously, it was a very good point. I think we on the podcast last uh, last week we all said we'd be we, we'd be happy with a point, uh, so we got that uh, clean pe- clean sheet was good, and I think. Um, most of the back forward are putting some very good performances. You've got to look at Derby's possession, the, the amount of possession they had on the ball, and I don't think they had a single a single chance, um, which was anywhere near troubling um, Tom Heaton. Which is uh, all credit to the to the back four. I think, which despite the, the the pressure they were put under, they dealt very well with the the Derby Derby attack. And actually, despite the fact that we had very little of the game. We probably, well, I think we almost certainly have the best chance of the game. Um, and if if George Boyd had um, remembered how to pass a ball, we'd have, we'd have won um, that that pass from 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 Boyd to to Vaux in the second half was one of the worst crosses I've ever seen. Um, if it's on the ground, Vaux scores and we've won the game. So um, I think, despite the possession, we probably should have had more reason to win than Derby 
got great clean sheets and good performances at the back and we're still third in the table. So um, I don't think it's as terrible as, um, as, as it could be. Third but third, said uh, my favourite new tweeter, Clarity, on Twitter. Um, I was seeing the live tweets last night and someone said people were blaming Volks for, for that chance that you mentioned. I was like, no one could have scored from that cross. It was terrible. He just gave him no chance. Um, Simon, defences were certainly on top, weren't they? There was a lack of cutting edge from, from both sides, it's probably fair to say. Yeah, I don't want to remove Kevin's uh, claret-tinted sunglasses uh, too quickly, <laughs> but but I think, um, you know, yes, there was that chance that should have been put away if uh, if Boyd delivers a proper pass to uh, to Volks, but also we had, you know, Dariqua cleared off the line. We had Dariqua making a last gasp tackle to keep Martin out from a yard out from goal, and, and Heaton did have a couple of saves, albeit long-range efforts. Um, I think we were quite lucky to get a point, really. Um, to me, the positives, there were, there were little spells in the first half and, and, and much less in the second half, where we did actually move it around midfield much better than we have been doing of late. I thought, you know, the way we moved the ball from right to left across midfield, Jones was busy. I, I thought there were some patches there where it looked pretty good. Um, but as soon as Gray went off, we lost that edge up front completely. Um, I mean, how many games has he played now? Three games, and we're already dependent on Andre Gray. I mean, all that talk we had a few weeks ago about having, like, you know, eight strikers or 15, if you believe Sky Sports graphics, and, and, and all these options up front, and suddenly we're down to a situation where if Andre Gray goes off, Hennings comes on. I know there's Long there as well, and we don't know really what his fitness status is at the moment, but... I was disappointed with Hennings, really. I saw some of the chatter online. There was some people thought that he'd showed touches of class. I thought he looked really nervous, actually, some of his touches where he, he, didn't, he was hesitant and didn't really know what to do. So I was quite disappointed with the performance overall. It is a decent point. Um, I thought Sam Volks looked sluggish. His first touch sometimes was absolutely terrible. Uh, I'm still not convinced he's anywhere near back to being, being his top form at all. Um, so a lot of questions really and there are times you know when teams start to get on top as Derby they really did in that last 20 minutes you look at the midfield and uh, you know you do have to wonder with with Barton available with Overstad and Marnie close to being available perhaps um, you know are we going to look at this formation because away from home there's an awful lot of strain on those two central midfielders up against a team that that plays with more midfielders than we do, and I, I don't I don't think that system can just be churned out every week and we just play the same way like we tried to do last year. Yeah, to clarify, Simon, with my claret tinted glasses, glasses <laughs> on the whole, I think we were absolutely abysmal throughout the pitch. I was just trying to think oh, here he goes. Here he goes. A couple, a couple of um, positives. Uh, yeah. I don't think you can judge uh, the strikers too much because I think mean, whenever they did get the, the ball, they probably took about 20 seconds to realise what it was um, as they hadn't seen it for, for the last uh, previous half hour. Uh, but yeah, like like you said, the, the problems all stem from the midfield again. I know we talk about week, but the midfield protects the defence, which they didn't do. And the midfield brings the ball forward, which they didn't do, um, which means the defence is, is, comes under problems and the, the forwards don't see the ball. Um but yeah, I think all the stars, um, Marnie and um, and Barton are all closing in on return. So 
that's exciting exciting problems for, for Dyche to have in the middle and hopefully we can finally get the season going because I still don't think we've played well in a single game yet um, but we're third in the table so um, that's, 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 that's something I suppose and I, I, the, the thing I'd say about the midfield as well is um, I don't think either of them played badly you know I thought actually I thought Arfield had one of his better games he was busy and he was really involved in the game I thought Jones kept it moving but it's just two of them up against... When you've got two against three or four coming at you, you know, and we're playing with the wide men and they're not being particularly effective. You know, how often really did Boyd or uh, Kitely go past people and put in a cross or cut in? You know, they, they weren't really effective. And if they're not going to be effective away from home on the attacking side of things, well, you really need to look at should we, should we have a tighter, tighter midfield setup away from home. I think the, the problem with the, the wingers, we've mentioned it a couple of times on the podcast, that a lot of the time they're playing as almost extra fullbacks rather than attackers. The wingers should be attackers in my book rather than defenders, and they just end up sitting in front of the defenders. And then when they get the ball, they're 70 yards away from goals. So they just can't, they can't get anywhere. I think your point about the system's valid, but I, I think Dash is very unlikely to switch from 4 4 2. It was interesting actually that the day after the Derby game on Tuesday, Overstad, Marnie and Barton all started for um, a Burnley 11. I think they've started calling it <laughs> the club instead of a development squad or an under 21 squad. Um, so, arguably, the, the development squad's midfield is stronger than the first team at the moment, which is a bit backwards. Um, James, Ruben Hennings is probably the most we've seen of him last night. I didn't really think he, he seemed up to it, but opinion seems pretty split. There were a few people saying he showed good touches. Um, what were your thoughts on one of the many James Bird lookalikes gracing the pitch last night? Just didn't really notice him. Um, <laughs> and I think that's a lot like, I think what Bossum was like against Leeds first game of the season. It was just like, you, you kind of eventually noticed he was there, but it there just wasn't really a lot to look at, was there? And I think that actually applied to a lot of our our team. I think once um, once Gray went off, the the attacking wise, no one really looked particularly threatening or lively. And and obviously Hennings is you know including that. I'd, but the only problem with Hennings is it's sort of hard to judge someone who's come from um, overseas and into the championship of sort of the limited servants we had so far. Um, you know, it looks like we took someone who was the side he played for our best player um, so you've got to imagine that there's some you know, level of class in there and uh, maybe it's just going to take a little bit of time for him to gel It's a funny one isn't it because when we spoke to a German football expert who'd played with Hennings in youth team football he said that he seemed ideally suited to English football certainly got power but Eric also told us he's quick and he looks anything but so far and we haven't really seen that much of his, his power yet either. Um, yeah, jury out on Hennings for me. Is it a concern, James, how reliant we are on Gray already? He's He's been involved with quite a few goals that we've scored since coming in, and we just looked like we had no no release with Gray off the field. But yeah, potentially. I, mean, I think the issue there, though, is that you know, Andre Gray, you've obviously, as record signing, costing you know, probably twice as much as the next nearest striking in Boyd, um, you, you're expecting you know, that level of player. And I think he's shown that so far, that he can do more than just score goals. You know, he's, he's looked good at crossing as well. Um, and obviously his energy's been great. But I, I think it's part of it just come down to what Simon said, that 
Folks doesn't really seem like he's back at that level he's at before yet. Um, you know, there's a couple of chances where he maybe should have done a little bit more with it. Um, but then again, it's also been pointed out the service hasn't been great. Now I think Carty's had a decent start to the season, but once Gray went off, you know, you can only think of that chance while Gray was on when he, he put the ball into the back and Shackle goes down a little bit easy under pressure from Gray. But I mean, other than that, there wasn't really much an offer from either winger, which, you know, when you consider that previously Boy was our record signing and you'd think that the championship was definitely a level where he can be a creative force, has been very disappointing. It's, it's a strange one, Boy, doesn't it? Because Tuesday night against MK Dons, it looked like he was getting back towards the form that we expect from him. He scored an excellent goal and he was much busy. He was linking up with Derrickwa quite well, but he was... That was arguably his worst performance of the season against Derby, and there's got to be a concern. Yeah, I, I really don't feel like we've we've even seen his um, you know his running game, which is you know what was probably the biggest standout for him last season. wasn't necessarily the goals he scored or the posts he hit. It was more you know the the work rate and effort, and I think that's gone. You haven't really noticed it the same. He's you know doesn't seem to be hustling the same, and. Um, you know, it's a real issue that I think, to be honest, at this at the moment in time, if you bring Barton in, you've, you've got to think that probably Arfield goes to the to the right, and it's it's Boyd who has to make way because Cartley's started much better at the two. I've used up my um, I've used up my positive quarter of the season now, um, and for me, Boyd has been absolutely dire. It's been absolutely dire this season. You have, a, you have a, he was, I think he's had one decent finish against MK Dons, and other than that. He's been by far and by far our worst player this season. And I think, like James said, as soon as we've got a central midfielder back in the team to to push our field wide, Boyd is is on the bench and and deservedly so. Yeah, I think that um, I think we touched upon it a couple of weeks ago about whether Boyd is actually playing in the right position, though, because I think you know the, the system we play forces him to play as a. It's exactly what Jeremy says. This winger sat in front of the fullbacks or working working the line with the fullbacks. Whereas I really do wonder. You know, you look at you look at uh, as we talked about. You look at his goals that he scored for Peterborough. Um, the position he was playing there was like off the striker or just behind the striker or in the hole or the pocket or whatever um, it gets called these days. And and we've never seen him playing that role at all. Um, and. I think you know he's doing so much defensive work, and he is—he's he was signed as a flair creative player, and we're not giving him a chance to do that. And I just wonder if that opportunity, again, I take Jamie's point that Dyche isn't likely to change from his four-four-two or four-two-four or or whatever you want to call it. At times, it looks like four-two-two sometimes. But if he um, if if he does take that advantage to play with three across the middle, if you brought in Barton and played. Barton in the middle, Jones to the left, and Arfield to the right. You could have Boyd operating behind Gray, um, or behind two strikers, um, or you could play one of your wingers and have Boyd Boyd floating off, off Gray. You know, I mean, if if Volks isn't going to pick up his form, his place in the side's got to be questioned. There's no one natural replacement for him now, unless Long's going to be fit or Henning starts putting his act together. So maybe we try and get the best out of George Boyd by playing him in a different role. For me, I think the the problem is with the formation is that everyone knows how we're going to play, and we got away with it two years ago. 
partly because our fitness, I think, was so outstanding compared to a lot of teams, and we simply ran teams off the pitch. I don't think we're going to be able to do that this year. And partly because we had the best strike force in the league, which I think it's got to be pointed out, was thrown together the day before the season started when we sold Charlie Austin. No one expected Volks and Inks to be the partnership, and they scored 40 goals between them. So I think a lot came together that season. And we seem to be relying on the same formula and we don't have the right components for it. I think that's a concern. Um, with all these midfielders coming back, though, Kevin, they're not all going to fit in, are they? You'd think Barton signed for the first team. Marnie's a first-team player. Dave Jones, he splits opinion, but for me, he's undroppable. How are you going to get them all in? Exactly, and I think um, Dave Jones, I, I'm a big fan of him like yourself, um, but I think what he really shines when he's next to Marnie. I think those two are in during the promotion season. They were they were similar to 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 Sam Vokes and Danny Ings in that they had a real connection and they both brought the best out of each other. And when they played without the other, they the game dropped. So Danny Ings never played Danny Ings without Sam Vokes, and Vokes was never Vokes without Ings. And I think it was the same with Jones and Marnie. Um, and when they when they they played together, they, they they really clicked, and it was such a dynamic um, connection in the middle. It's going to be interesting to see what happens there because you know D- D- Barton's not been brought in to sit on the bench. That's quite clear. Um, so what, either Dice changed his system, which is um, well not going to happen, or either Marnie or, or Jones are going to be dropped so they're not going to be playing together so it's going to be really interesting to see what happens there um, I, I mean initially it's going to be it's going to be Jones and Jones and Barton playing together because just purely because Marnie's uh, got a lot more fitness work to do but it's a it's a, it's a great problem but to have and obviously Ulverstad um, offers uh, offers something very different as well to come in and and hopefully change games because um, again, I think that's something we we do like, and we've always liked through Dash's through Dash's time is somebody who can come in and offer a little something a little bit different. Um, and I think all the stat is different from from Jones, Marnie, and and um, and Barton, and hopefully he can he can come on to games if we're if we're struggling and, and give it give us something a little bit something different in the middle. Um, so I think we've got four uh, four really strong. Uh, I've not seen much of, of all the stats in terms of the quality, but he, I think he offers something different. So I think we've got a really strong unit in the middle uh, when everybody comes back. Um, that, that could potentially go from being one of our weakest areas to probably our strongest area if all goes well. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, all the stat, all the reports from pre-season will they been very good and was going to start probably. If he hadn't got injured, he might have started instead of our field in midfield. But this minor ankle injury he's picked up. Apparently, he's had setbacks, but this minor problem's kept him out for two months now, and it seems to have, have really put him back. Um, and talking about systems, there's a couple of people suggested the squad might be seated towards playing three at the back. Now, we're talking about four-three-three as being radical for Sean Dash. I think three at the back will be even more so. But we've got decent options at the back. You've got good width from the full-backs, midfield options, get more men forward. I think that's another option. Uh, James, do you see Dash switching from the 4-4-2 at all? It's very rare we've, we've seen anything apart from 4-4-2 or one striker playing behind another striker. Um, I guess the short answer is probably just no, isn't it? I, I, <laughs> no, I want a long answer, really. <laughs> I, 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 can't, I can't see that at all, but um, the three at the back I do is very interesting and you'd say we've definitely got the players to do it um 
know, you'd probably be thinking it'd be Keane, me and, and Duff who plays the three centre-halves. And then obviously, I think the wing-back role probably does really suit uh, Derek Oire's game. And, and you'd imagine probably Ward would, would do the similar role on the left-hand side. Um, but I just think it, because it's such a departure from what we do now, I think that's where the difficulty really comes in, that you'd be... You know, you'd have to train for two completely different systems. Um, and it's such a departure from what we're doing where I, I can see more likely sort of the tweak. So obviously, Simon's mentioned with Boyd dropping in the hole, being obviously a much more simple thing to do when almost the rest of the framework stays the same. Um, whereas three at the back is, you know, a, a massive change really from, from what we play and would require, you know, different things from the midfield. But it could probably be a good answer for the midfield problems as well because I, I think you know we've said that Arfield and Jones have good games individually but the system doesn't work and I think ultimately they're just not a good match for each other together in the in the middle it always seems like they're not on the safe wavelength um, but that could obviously be a mute point now that Barton could be dash fit and uh, Marnie doesn't seem too far away considering he's, uh, he's played again um, in this Burnley 11 game but yeah, I think you know we won't see it. But three at the back would definitely be interesting to watch. I think another option with the midfield is if you if you are going to play, um, you know, three central midfielders, um, one of them wants to be a deeper player, holding a little bit, and that might help. You know, if and, and to me, Jones seems the player who could do that role, um, and I just wonder if. Uh, that might not solve some of our distribution from the back problems because a lot of the stuff that's been really awful to watch and, and particularly talking about last night's game has been that sort of hoof from the back where because the midfield is so stretched and working so hard, there isn't that person coming deep to pick up the ball, which Jones has done in the past when he was playing with Marnie because of that understanding that they know where each other are. But there hasn't been that person who can start off a move and get things going on the deck and if you played Jones a little bit deeper and you had like Barton and Arfield or Barton and Marnie in front of him, um, you've got a very different shape to your midfield. You've got different options or you could play, play a person in front of the midfield. I think he does have to tinker with it at some stage. I mean, if we carry on winning and we win ugly and we're, we're in the top three for most of the season, he probably won't do because, you know, it's not his job to play beautiful football with a sophisticated formation that we can all talk about it's his job to win games but but if we if we hit a bit of a bad patch he might have to tinker and I think that's an option with those central midfielders is to maybe play Jones as the deeper one I agree I think that's a, a really good point I think Jones would, would specialise in that role I think one of the problems we have with Jones is that when he plays in a two a lot of teams play three in midfield now, and because we don't, it's a question of numbers as much as anything else. And they can have a man who essentially just sits on David Jones. And we all know Jones is quite one-footed, doesn't have a lot of pace. If you stop him from getting on his left foot, then he's going to find it hard and he's going to have to just go backwards a lot of the time. So if we had three, then there's more options on the ball. And as, as Kevin's just pointed out on our chat, it would mean that you could have... Uh, Stephen Ward inside, which is one of my favourite ideas. Um, moving on from Monday night's game against Derby, then, because to be honest, there's only so much we can talk about in nil nil. Um, 
the club's had a really interesting idea. They've put home fans back in the cricket field stand. They did it for the first time against MK Dons, and it was a sellout. We meant to talk about this last week, but um, totally forgot because there was other stuff going on. I was in there, and the atmosphere was really good. I think it worked, um, apart from the other three stands, didn't really contribute as much as maybe they should have. Um, The club obviously felt like the experiment was a worthy one. They've since announced it. A four-game pack is available for the Crickfield stand for £60. That's £15 a game. Incredible value. And I think it's something that we should certainly praise the club for, having been quite critical of the club on ticket prices on known and ever in the past. Um, James, we'll start with you. What do you make of the, the idea of having home fans in the Crickfield stand? First of all, it shows that the club listens, doesn't it? It does. And I think ultimately that's um, you know that's the reason it's been done. I, I personally don't see... Um, the the acoustic difference as much as some people are adamant it exists. I always think that the reason the away fans are louder is because they group together and they all sing. Um, and <clears throat> I think it's the same a lot when we're away from home. You know, our fans always sing quite loud. I think it's because you get a group together and they all want to sing. Um, but if you can obviously do the same thing and get our fans in a section of that stand who all want to sing, then. You know, it's a different conversation, isn't it? But ultimately, it does depend on who's sat in there. But as you said, it shows that the club listen. People really want to be in there, and you know, now they've got the option, and it's at a really good price. So, um, you know, it's probably going to appeal definitely to some people who haven't got season tickets, and you know, they couldn't justify paying for a full season. Can't quite justify a match day price, but now obviously they've got the option of um, four games at fifteen quid a piece, and you know, that's pretty good value for the championship. I think it's not just a sign that the club has listened. I think it's a sign that they want to do more to to attract the casual fans back. MK Dons was obviously an ideal time to do it because there was going to be plenty of space in the away end and the crowd was going to be quite low unless they did something. But I think it just shows that the club now understands that not everyone can pay even 25 quid every Saturday and there has to be another option to, to allow people to get on cheaper. But with the MK Dons game as well, I think it's always been the case that sort of Tuesday night games have been, um, you know, the experimentation games for for ticket prices. I know that's when they used to do sort of the quid, kids for a quid style offers, and you know, it's the the night where your attendance just suffer because anyone who lives away from the Burnley area probably can't make the the game, um, and obviously occasionally, well, quite often, the weather in Burnley on a Tuesday night is not not the best to sit out in. So, um, you know, they, they took a good opportunity to give it a try and obviously it's, it's worked out enough that um, they're going to give people the opportunity for another four games and, you know, if people want the club to continue listening, I guess the answer is to make sure that they take advantage of uh, of having got what they want. I think that's absolutely right. I think it would be hypocritical of people to say tickets need to be cheaper, you need to let home fans in the away end. And then when they come up with a really good offer like that to not take advantage, I'd be disappointed if the cricket field stand allocation isn't uh, full, essentially. I think there's, there's a couple of people have mentioned that the club's been a bit weird about where they sell tickets for, um, but I can't imagine that's going to be a major stumbling block. Um, Kevin, if I'm bringing you in on this, we've talked about ticket prices almost to death on no and ever, but this is a genuine innovation from the club. It is, yeah, and I think... I think... You've you've got to look give give David Baldwin some credit here. I think um, I think when we've talked to we've talked to Baldwin, we've talked to um, Lee, who's um, 
in the past as well. And I think Lee Hoops was always very, very business focused. Um, whereas Baldwin has always seemed a lot more fan focused. We heard from um, from a, a, a Bradford fan previously that he was he was very into fan feedback. He set up a big fan board at Bradford, and just generally Baldwin's always talked about about keeping the fans happy. And I think this is a uh, definitely you know it fits his his style of the sort of thing he, he likes to introduce. Um, so you've got to give him credit here because this is something that fans have been. I've been, I've been asking for literally for the entire, entire time I've been supporting the club um, uh, and, and it's never really happened we've had a few few occasions when we've when we've got him there um, but it, it, it's never happened long term it's always been experimentation and then and then put back just purely for your way fans um, but I think the club's hopefully been a bit more flexible here and hopefully give it a bit, a bit of a better go and it seems we've worked so far um and and yeah, I think it's it's a really good move. I think the one thing a football club needs to do um, is listen to its fans. And if if something the fans want isn't particularly practical, it's not just to shut it down and say we won't do it. But the club's job is to find a way to to do that because at the end of the day, the fans are of of a life of the club. Um, so yeah, I think it's a really really good move, and it's some, something that should be applauded. And hopefully, it's a it's the start of a long line of similar similar moves to a. Uh, to improve uh, the support of match day experience. I think you're absolutely right to, to pick out David Baldwin for praise. I think it's it's an idea that seems to have his name stamped all over it. Um, as, as far as who's goes, I think you're right that he was more focused on business. I think the bottom line was what interested him rather than what fans thought. He confessed to us that he wasn't really interested in what fans thought of him. Um I mean, I liked him personally. I thought he was a nice guy, but I just think he didn't get it. I don't think he understood that not everyone can afford his, his 700 quid season tickets and paying retainers and all that sort of stuff. So I think this is a really good move, and I'm, I'm really excited to see what David Baldwin comes up with next because it seems like he's got a bit of a Midas touch at the moment, and I think he might be the, the first ever popular chief executive. Um, Simon, if we can bring you back in, what, what are your thoughts on home fans in the cricket field stand? Well, I mean, I look at it, you know, my experience is obviously different from, from, from you fellas being over there all the time and, and always at the game. I go back, you know, a few times a season to actually be, be at Turf Moor and it's always a bit of a strange experience because, you know, for me, it's like going back to a you know, place that was a big part of my youth and my childhood, but there's a, a huge part of that missing because, of course, you know, by the time, by the time I was heading off to university, the long side was uh, was still there, you know, and uh, and and it's and it really just, you know, it's it's an obvious thing to say. It's never been replaced, and the atmosphere when I go back, every time I feel disappointed, even though I know it's changed and the long side hasn't been there for twenty years or whatever it is. I, I always I always feel like disappointed and a little bit let down that the atmosphere isn't like I imagined it, and. and and always, you know, you kind of look back on some of the fourth division days when we were getting, you know, third division days with crowds of seven or 8,000 and stood on the log side. It seemed a lot noisier then than it does with 15,000 in sometimes. So something had to be done, I think. And I, and I think, you know, that, that concept of trying to create an away end for home supporters, really, because every time I watch a Burnley game on telly in the Premier League and we were away from home, you could hear the Burnley fans, you know, loud and clear. And yet you just couldn't do at home games. So it was clear, that's a, clearly something that wasn't right and wasn't working. This seems like a good solution. I mean, I prefer a, 
if they brought back a standing area as well. But I mean, that's not going to happen probably. But but um, you know, as long as there isn't going to be any problems there, you know, I mean, as long as there isn't a return of hooliganism with just that little fence there, it does make me wonder. Maybe I'm still stuck in my '80s mindset with that as well. But I look at that little fence there down the middle and think, really, you know, are we going to do this with? You know, derby games, or, you know, where you can't do it all the time, can we? There's going to be some games there if you're playing, you know, obviously Blackburn or Bolton and so on. You think, well, would you, would you want just that little fence, picket fence between two sets of supporters? That would, that would. You'd assume they'd have a lot of stewards in there as well for bigger. Yeah, yeah, but whether they want to just whether they want to create that situation for that, I don't know. But overall, it sounds like a fantastic idea. If it, if it gets uh, people stood up together and, and sitting together singing songs and, and getting behind the crowd, you know, there was just, it's just not quite, I mean, Andre Gray's debut, you know, he at home debut, he scores and he, he, he puts in a cross from the wing uh, and I'd never heard a chant about him really. There might have been somewhere in the ground, but there wasn't a clear thing like you used to leave alongside and there would be an Andre Gray chant after a game like that and we would know what it would be and, and you just didn't, didn't pick that up. He got a nice reception and a big round of applause and all that kind of stuff. But there, just that intensity's been missing for me. And and if this helps bring that back, then great. Well done. Well, that's certainly something to keep an eye out on. Um, I'm sure we'll come back and revisit that subject. Um, on a similar theme, though, on ticket prices, I recently spoke to representative of the Football Supporters Federation to see what their view is, to see what they think should be done, to see what fans can be doing about the issue of ticket prices, which is obviously one of the biggest problems facing the game. Ticket prices started, I think, to go up um, probably after the Hillsborough disaster. The Taylor report um, obviously recommended that a lot of grounds needed vastly improving, basically, and clubs spent a lot of money on that. And it did lead to, to far better stadiums. I, I started going to games in the late 80s, and I can remember a lot of crumbling old grounds and... It's a lot better now, um, although we would like to see CF standing areas, having said that. But nonetheless, I think the overall picture is certainly better. Now, when stadium clubs invested in those stadiums, they quite understandably said, look, we're going to have to cover some of this cost with increased ticket prices. The problem is those ticket prices kept going up and up and up above inflation for sort of 25 years now, which um, it has obviously led to all these problems. And I think when Taylor um, recommended, say, all-seater stadiums, he, I think he envisaged the price at the time to be around 10, 15 quid for tickets, which it's obviously way above that now. That's taken into account inflation as well. And... Um, I think fans are just saying enough's enough, you know. Come October the 3rd and 4th, we've got a ticket price protest that'll go on across the country. I encourage any fans who are listening to this to get in touch and get involved with that. The idea is fans groups coming together across the sort of tribal divide, you know. So if you're at home and in the visiting club coming to you or you're going away, get in touch with the fans groups and we'll organise joint protests. And I think that's going to be across the Football League and Premier League. Um, so I'd really encourage people to get in touch with the FSF on that. The Football Supporters Federation does think there's a danger that certain um, certain parts of, of the community might be priced out. I mean, at the end of the day, football clubs name themselves after the communities they come from, and they're quite unique in that regard, and people have a special relationship with them, so we think that clubs as businesses have to, to do that a little bit extra and go further to make sure that 
football is open or I think there is a particular problem obviously amongst low income groups I mean that goes without saying you know they're, they're, they're going to struggle to afford tickets but also among certain age demographics as well particularly I'm thinking those who are sort of 18 to early 20s where you are maybe going into full-time education or starting work in a minimum wage job or starting an apprenticeship Yet that happens at the same time as you graduate out of kids' prices into full adult prices, and that can be a huge leap. And I think there's a danger. Those people maybe turn their backs on clubs because, you know, if if, if I'm a, if I'm a um, young lad or lass in 18, 19, and I've got 30 quid in my pocket for a Saturday, do I spend every last penny of that on a, on a match ticket and have nothing else to do? Or do I maybe think, you know what? too easy to watch football on some dodgy stream now i'll go in the local pub and i'll have a few pints and a day out and i'll watch the match on tv and i think there's a danger that people do that and that's not something we want to see we'd like to see the stands full you know and um, but i think clubs have to consider that too you've mentioned the the 20s plenty campaign how did that get started and and what's that all about the 20s plenty for away tickets campaign Started, it was launched in about January 2013. Manchester City, who were the current champions um, at that time, visited Arsenal and the tickets were 62 quid. They didn't sell out. The fans made a lot of noise about it and there was protests in the stands and things like that. And that really focused the media's attention. It was obviously something that the FSF had knew and banged on about for years. The ticket prices were too high, but it was that issue really did focus media attention. It was the spark that started the fire. And since then, we launched 20s Plenty, encouraging teams to do reciprocal £20 t- deals for one another. And there's been dozens of those now across the league, saving, um, oh, saving I think it's over 60,000 fans now, around about £650,000. So there's been a lot of fans saving a lot of money, but we think the clubs can go a lot further as well. So we would encourage all fans to lobby their clubs, encouraging them to do these reciprocal deals. Um, it's not just in the Premier League where that happened. Coventry City, for instance, have announced that they'll charge no visiting fans at the Rico more than 20 quid, and they referenced FSF's campaign. So if you if you follow a League One club, you're going to benefit from that if you go to Coventry. Um, and we'd suggest in return that the, the, you ask your club if they can do similar deals, both for visiting fans and try and set up deals so when you go away, you get cheaper tickets too. Is is that what the FSF recommends fans do then? More lobbying clubs rather than organising things like boycotts if they're unhappy about ticket prices? Lobbying clubs um, and boycotts um, can can go together. You know, I mean, obviously clubs are going to sit up and take notice of this. I think lobbying can take very different forms at different clubs. Um, no, no two clubs are the same. So... In some circumstances, lobbying clubs might be a supporters group who has a fantastic relationship with the chief executive of the club sitting down and explaining this is what we think should happen, this is why it would benefit fans, this is why it's good for the club. Other situations, it might be fans bringing together disparate fans groups, fanzines, websites, and doing sort of a joint letter writing or email campaign. At other clubs, it might be a protest in the stands. We have occasionally seen boycotts, last, particularly amongst the away fan groups. Last season, Wigan fans boycotted Allen Road. Liverpool fans boycotted um, Hull City over ticket prices too. And Newcastle United fans boycotted St. James's Park over slightly different issues, more to do with ownership. But you do see boycotts. They tend to work on a more club-specific level, though. Um, I think across the board in terms of the 
the way that the FSF or fans lobby their clubs or the authorities. I think it works a little like this. The FSF has to keep the pressure up at the Premier League, the Football League, the FA, and also to echo and to promote any club-specific campaigns that fans organise, at whatever club that may be. I think fans at individual clubs, they have to target their clubs because at the end of the day, if the FSF lobbies a particular club, it's very easy for that club just to say, well, you don't, you're not our customers, you know, we don't, we don't get any money off you, you're just, you're just arguing for this. Our fans aren't seeing this, so fans have a responsibility at their club level to, to make the voice heard, and then we deliver that mes- message at a national level repeatedly. Fans are certainly carrying out a lot more actions in relation to ticket prices. Um, we have a argument that this such and such a price is a tipping point. Um, whether that is the case remains to be seen. What we do know is that clubs are listening to this a lot more. They are looking to, to do initiatives in the Premier League, for example. They have what's called the Away Supporters Initiative, which is a £12 million pot of money, um, or, or rather £12 million set aside budgeted for away fans. So £200,000 per club is spent on away fans every season reducing either ticket prices or travel costs and things like this. We would like to see more of that in the Football League and we are um, we have been talking to the Football League about ideas for supporting away fans in particular. So we will see what comes of that. We're hopeful something can come of it. It is more challenging maybe for Football League clubs because they um, have less money, obviously. Um, but Coventry City, who have implemented um, £20 maximum Tickets for away fans, 20s, plenty deals. Coventry City have shown that it is possible to do to do so, you know. So we'd like to see more of that in the future. One simple thing that I think clubs could do is that in the Football League, every club is allowed four times per season to do a local promotion. This is where they drop prices for home fans to try and promote um, match going or match attendance to the local community. I see no reason why I can't. Um, extend those local promotions so that visiting fans get cheaper tickets on those days too. If the clubs did that, that's four times per season at each club, times 72 clubs. I'm not going to try and work out how many games <laughs> it is, but that's hundreds of games over the course of a season and it would be a decent saving for away fans. Finally then, in an ideal world, what would ticket prices be like according to the FSF? That's a good question. That's a good question. I think um, in terms of home season ticket prices, I think there is always going to be some variance. Um, Geographically, some areas are just better off than others. Um, I think we see at the FSF, say for instance, I think there's an acceptance among some Chelsea fans and Arsenal fans and Spurs fans that they seem more willing to pay slightly higher prices because maybe they earn a bit more money and things, you know, whereas I'm I'm from the northeast of Sunderland fan and Sunderland's prices in the home end tend to be a bit cheaper because economically the area um, has, has more challenges. But for away fans, I think that there's more scope for a, a sort of ideal price. And I think 20 quid is getting 20 quid for full adult tickets. It does feel reasonable. And um, once you take into account that fans have to pay travel costs and such like, I think we'd like to see concessions maybe lower than 20 quid, you know, maybe down towards sort of 10, 15 quid. Um, again, um, I think that is something in relation to away fans that could be done. I think that's where a lot of the pressure points 
really are, you know, because if you're a way fan, you spend the most time and the most money following your club. So I think that's what clubs could look to do there. Right, so that was the, the FSF, and I'm sure everyone will be keen to see what they've got up their sleeves next. Those marches are taking place next month. Uh, Burnley's next game, though, is on Saturday, Reading the visitors to Turf Moor. They've had a good start to the season, Reading, um, laughing in the face of me, who wrote them off as relegation fodder. Um, James, two top six sides, hopefully going to put on a better show than Derby and Burnley managed. Um, yeah, you'd hope so. Um, I'm going, so at least I hope so as well. Um, but it's, I think it's important now that we we don't just start getting some results, we, we start showing some performances. Um because you know, as everyone always says, you know, the teams that win leagues are the ones that grind it out. But um, I think at some point we've got to start showing that you know a little bit of the class that we know we've got in our side. Um, if anything, just for the supporters, because it's going to be a tough season if um, if the crowd at the turf aren't on side. And you know, particularly obviously with the um, the fish weekend available for for home fans, if we can get some noise generated and uh, you know make turf more a tough place for opponents to play. It can only help us uh, along the way. We don't normally bother talking about team selection, Kevin, because the eleven's the normally quite settled, but with Gray tweaking his hamstring, we don't know if he's going to be available. Joey Barton's played another 90 minutes for the, for the so-called development squad. Um, Dad's just got to think about changing it up a bit, especially if Gray doesn't make it. Um... He'll think about it and then and then not. <laughs> I'm not sure he'll even think about it. I think he'll just go what, with what what just comes naturally. I think Henning was Henry to come in for Gray. Um, I can't see Barton um, starting games before he's come off the bench. So I, I think the only possible change would be Henning's in for for Gray. Um, um, nothing else at all ever. <laughs> Ever. Uh, they've had a surprisingly good start to the season really actually they beat Bristol City in their last game they've also put five past Ipswich who are one of the fancy teams they've won at Brentford as well already this season bit of a surprise package so far this season Simon it's not going to be an easy game is it? No not at all and we're going to have to step it up because sooner or later you know the little little chances that we're giving teams are going to take it we're going to have one of those games Sooner or later, where where you know the, the opposition get two or three chances and take them all, it happens. We've got away with it a little bit at times this this season, and we've also got to start putting our own, you know, creating a lot more ourselves. So we do have to step it up. The the league table looks great, but I think it is a little bit of a an illusion, really. You know, I think we do need to uh, to find a way to uh, start performing. Um, we always end with predictions then although we always forget to check whether anyone was right or not Simon we'll start with you Bill if you're ready at Surf more at the weekend what do you expect um, I hope for a much improved performance but I think until we start to really deal with those formation issues I think we're, I think, I think this one might be a disappointing one I think I can see that 1-1 one, one. I, I wonder if we might come down to earth with a bit of a bump especially if Gray's not fit um James, what about you? Are you going to add a bit of positivity to end the show on? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going. I'm going to go with that. We're going to, going to show our class this weekend, and um, we're going to win three 0 I'm sure Kevin would have counteracted that with a bit of negativity, but he's, he's, we've lost him, friend, so we'll have to do it like that. Uh, that's all we've got time for on this week's podcast. Thanks to Kevin, Simon and James for joining me. Um, get in touch if you've got any feedback, questions, anything you want to tell us about the podcast. 
via Twitter at knowninevernet or email us at podcast at knowninever.net. Finally, thanks as always to our sponsors at Neville G. Couldn't do the podcast without them. And thanks to everyone who's listened. We'll be back next week. Thanks a lot. Bye. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.